Thank you, Andy, for that reading, and a pleasant good morning to all of you. We are grateful that you made it through the week and that we can be together again here today, and I trust that things are going well with you and yours. Uh, This is a time that we had hoped would be different, but it seems that the problem with the pandemic uh, continues, and so we have to continue to be on guard. Death is all around us, and as someone has said, uh, death comes someday to everyone, and to someone every day. And I received the word last night about 10 o'clock that my brother-in-law in in Tulsa passed away about 7.30 yesterday evening. He had a long, long haul, been uh, fighting a malignancy for a long time. So uh, we, we see, I mean, death has come into the family. We've been a very fortunate family. I don't want to get into this too much. We've been a very fortunate family. There are seven of us siblings, and there are 15 grandchildren. And some of you know that I probably am a little bit beyond the 50-year-old mark. Uh, We have never had a death in our immediate family, that is, our siblings or any of our children or our our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. So we're very grateful for that, but we are mindful that death is all around, and it does come to us eventually someday. But we're glad you're here, and this is the day the Lord has made, so we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, right? Exactly. It's a day that we'll lift up the Lord, and we'll praise Him, and as a result of our lifting up the Lord and praising together, like you have directed in our singing, we're going to go away from here with a a greater spirit, and we're going to go away encouraging one another. Worship of the Lord is a way of of bringing us together where we tend to encourage each other more. Will you bow with me in prayer? Our holy God, we give you our thanks for this day. We give you our thanks for the significance of this first day of the week. Because we praise today the Lord of life, you brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, who had gone to the cross as our atoning sacrifice. And you showed that your purpose was becoming a reality, that through him the forgiveness of sins could be made available to all who would come to him and trust him and rely upon him. And our Father today, we want to be that people. We thank you and praise you for our redemption. And we thank you and praise you that you have made us a congregation of believers who share a common fellowship, who love a common Lord, who share a common faith. And we pray that you will help us to be the people that you would have us to be in this community. And today, Lord, we bring our praise and our adoration to you. And we pray that your name will be glorified. We pray that your name will be magnified. And we pray that as a result of our being together, that we will be encouraged and that we will encourage one another. Will you forgive us of our sins? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Several years ago, when I was going out in the South Pacific, I was in Suva, Fiji, the Fiji Islands. 
Suva is the largest city of that small uh, nation. And there was a talk of uh, a coup that was going around, getting pretty strong. And so I decided, uh, upon the suggestion of several, that I needed to go to the American consul that was there in Suva, and that I did. I went to them to ask, now, what do you suggest that I do? And they said, you know, about the best thing you can do is leave Suva, get over to, to Nandi, where the international airport is, and leave. And so I did. And as a part of that story, by the time I got to Nandi, the news was being announced that the coup had uh, been started. But I was already scheduled to be flying out, so, uh, so fortunately I wasn't a part of that. Now, the point that I want to make here in regard to that is that I went to an embassy, the American embassy. Now, that was Fiji, but there was an American embassy there. And an, an embassy is a diplomatic mission. It's also a building. And it is a part of one nation that is being represented in another nation. So in that embassy, the United States was being represented in the island nation of Fiji. That's the way it is in all of our embassies. The ambassador that is there is to be a faithful representative of his country. Now, why do I mention that? Because in some ways, the church, the Carrollton congregation, is like an embassy. We are a heavenly embassy on foreign soil, if you please. We are representative of heaven. As the American embassy in Suva represented the United States in Fiji, we represent heaven to this community. Have you ever thought about that? What's heaven going to be like? To a great degree, what people's perception of heaven will be should come, and I hope does come, from what the church is about. Now, uh, the church, then, is to be a faithful representative of heaven, just as an ambassador is to be a faithful representative of his country. Now, that principle is what we're going to be discovering here in this text. I know the word embassy is not used there, but as you look to Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and thank you, Andy, for reading it, that's one sentence in the original language. That's quite a sentence. We discourage long sentences now, but that was one sentence at that time because there was one great thought that Paul was seeking to bring across to the Philippians. Previously, he had mentioned his own situation, and he had made the statement with which you are familiar, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it's in that background, then, that we've had this reading here this morning from chapter 1, 27 through 30. Paul has shown that through Jesus Christ there is victory. Now what he does is stress 
faithfulness on our part as representatives of heaven. Faithfulness on our part in our mission. And so today, as was refer- reference was made to the time in which we're living, and thank you, Ivan, for uh, leading us in prayer and asking for strength for this time. This is a time in which we need again to see who we are and what that means, not only at this time, but at all times, but especially at this time. And so, as you look at that passage, it seems to me that what Paul is saying to us this morning is, Carrollton Church, you and I, you and I, are to be faithful witnesses for Christ in this world, in this community. What is Christ like? What is heaven like? The people around us should be getting some idea as they look at who we are. So this text is setting out to us some basics. I want you to see three important ideas that stand out here in regard to our being the faithful witnesses of heaven, the faithful witnesses of Christ in our work. Looking first at verse 27, Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's talking about conduct. That's the first thought that I want you to be thinking about today, conduct. But there's an interesting background in that. Paul uses the word there for citizenship. And literally he says, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He was writing to a group of people that lived in a Roman colony. Now if you look at where Philippi is on your map, you're going to find it over in Macedonia, which is a Greek area. But Philippi was made up of many uh, retired Roman soldiers and other Roman personnel so that it had become a colony within a Greek culture. And I think that's reflected here in the background of Philippians and it has a telling way of reminding us of who we are. You know, uh, the word for citizenship there makes use of the original word for city. The original word for city is polis. You say, what does that mean? Well, have you ever heard of Minneapolis? You ever heard of Indianapolis? You ever heard of Annapolis? Notice the last part of that is polis, city. And the citizenship was something that was really prized and honored. If you lived in this polis, if you lived in this city... You had responsibility. You had responsibility to your fellow citizens. You had responsibility to uphold the ideals of what that city was about. And so, Paul is speaking here of our citizenship. Incidentally, you remember that he himself, though Jewish and who could speak Greek quite well, was a Roman citizen. So, he knows something about this from the standpoint of the privilege of Roman citizenship. Now, what this passage is saying is that what we all are on earth is to be determined by our heavenly citizenship, our being Christians. 
Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that really is what defines heavenly citizenship, kingdom citizenship. Citizenship has its rights and its privileges. You remember that Paul could say, after they had beaten him in, in Philippi, is it, is it right for you to beat a Roman citizen? Roman citizen? Didn't know you were a Roman citizen. He could call upon his rights as a Roman citizen. But citizenship also has duties and responsibilities. Peter would ask, how should we live? What manner of persons ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So, we live as citizens in the kingdom of God. A heavenly colony in this area. And in that, we are called to the transformed life. Uh, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. And in that, he makes mention of a transformation. I referred to that this past week, but let me go back to it just briefly now. Transformation, take that word with you today. Transformed. The citizen in the kingdom of God is a transformed person. In this passage, Paul says, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the kind of transformation we're called to. Uh, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Beholding him, we are becoming transformed, Paul would say. So, our Christian life now, brothers and sisters, is to be a transforming experience meaning becoming more like Christ in our lives. But that's not all there is to transformation. There is the ultimate transformation in which this dying body of ours will be transformed into the likeness of His glory. Or as Paul put it on another occasion, we will be changed. The perishable will put on imperishable. The... uh, The mortal will put on immortality. That's the great transformation that lies ahead. So, as we think about conduct, faithfulness involving our conduct, remember how Paul urged, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Remember, he said, walk in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. That's what we're looking at in conduct. But as you go back to this passage and see Paul's emphasizing faithfulness in the present time, especially with this background of our hope of eternal life, he reminds us that with all that is around us, it's possible for us to fear. And right now, think about it with so much unrest in our country, with the pandemic, pandemic is worldwide, there's a reason why some people may think fear uh, is appropriate. And I'm not saying that it is wrong to fear. But what I am saying is, there is something that we need to remember today. And that is that God gave us not a spirit of fear, 
but a spirit of power. And so now, this has to do with our courage at this time. The spirit of power, our conduct, coupled with the courage that is needed. And how is that stressed? Well, he says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Standing firm. That's terminology that was used in regard to soldiers in warfare. It meant that they don't run away. They are men and women of courage that don't leave their post. At another time, Paul would urge, act like men in the context here of being soldiers. Be strong. Now, in that courage, Paul is calling for a spirit of harmony among us, an atmosphere of harmony. One spirit with one mind. Now, what, what does that mean? That simply means that you and I really ought to be having a common heartbeat in what we're about as this heavenly colony in Carrollton, Texas. One spirit, one mind, a united front. That's what it takes. So be steadfast. That's courage. Be persevering, not frightened, Paul says. Interesting term in that word there. You know, he used picturesque language. He used a word there that describes wild horses that are in a herd. Is it a herd of horses? Anyway, uh, wild horses, I'll say a group of wild horses, and all of a sudden they are frightened. And what do they do? They all run. Now, Paul says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. That word is used only here in the New Testament, but I think it's significant in its saying that it's necessary to persevere, continue on, don't run away. And along with that, he says that courage is accompanied by a cooperative spirit, striving side by side. Now in Galatia, there were those who were biting and devouring one another. They were not striving side by side. Too many times we, we turn in the wrong direction. We turn on one another. But now is a time, brethren, in which we need to stand together. We must stand together. One spirit, one mind, one soul, literally as it is in his language. Involving then a cooperative spirit on our part as we strive side by side. In our Metroplex area, we're familiar with a number of professional athletic teams. And every time the Mavericks win, it's because there is a team spirit in which they all work together toward a common goal. And every time the Rangers win, it is because there is a team spirit in which they are all working together toward a common goal. Any time the Cowboys win, it is because there is a common spirit 
and they're working toward a common goal. Now, Paul says, that's what we're to be about. And as we think of courage in our conduct, one other thought that Paul urges for us is a sense of loyalty. And that loyalty is demonstrated there in verses 29 and 30 in commitment. Conduct, courage, commitment. That's what it takes to be the heavenly colony in the setting here in Carrollton, Texas. And that commitment is seen first in faith. I I think it's interesting that Paul puts that up front in our commitment. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ to believe in him. Now remember what it means to believe. It means to trust, to rely upon, to confide in. And it means to respond in obedience to the Lord. So we respond in faith. And in this setting, Paul will go on further in Philippians to say that our righteousness is not on the basis of our own good works, but it is a righteousness from God that depends upon faith. In faith, one can be led to the forgiveness of sins. By him, the prophets all bear witness that whoever believes in him can receive the remission of sins. Faith leads one to trust. Faith leads one to honor. Faith leads one to rely upon. And faith leads one to commit oneself to the Lord, obeying the Lord. There is no faith without obedience. Now, by the same token, he says, when you commit yourself to the Lord in faith and in faithfulness, there's going to be antagonism. You may suffer for Christ. And certainly in our time, in our own country right now, I don't know of anyone who's going to be locked up or sent to prison for saying, we believe in Christ and you should follow Christ. However, there is antagonism. There is adversity. There is opposition. Our cultural mindset is anti-God, anti-Christ. And that's an enemy that is fighting against us. And that's an enemy that we must resist. So Paul says we suffer for Christ. We stand with Christ. And we seek to resist uh, what would lead us away from Christ. So we are engaged in this same conflict that you've seen in me. Now at this time that Paul would say that, he was in prison in Rome. See what his faithfulness to the Lord had done for him? That's where he was. And Paul said, you're not going to be exempt from opposition, from adversity either. But how do we respond in this genuine commitment of faith when there is adversity? Well, Paul has given the indication of that in the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, concerning the weapons of our warfare... We don't fight fire with fire. You know, I never have seen fire put out fire. But there is a way that Paul says we respond. 
He said, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We don't use the same weaponry that others do. But what are we doing? He says, we destroy arguments. We're not called to man-to-man combat. You must become a Christian or else. Some religions really put it that way. Uh, in this kind of country where we're living, everyone's got to be of this particular mindset, of this particular religion. And if you're not, you can go to jail. might even lose your life. But Paul said, we destroy arguments. We don't take guns and spears and swords and say, you must become a Christian. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. We uphold the message of Christ. And as we uphold the message of Christ, we take every thought, now listen to this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our battle is one in which it is a struggle for the minds of men. You've heard that expression, I've known many times. It is a struggle for the way people think. And what is against God must be brought into captivity. And the way of Christ must be upheld. So, today, I urge us to assess our involvement in the cause of Christ. We're not exempt from suffering. We're not exempt from adversity. We're not exempt from opposition. We're not exempt from disappointment. I wish we were, but we're not. We're not exempt from hardship. Someone said that Christianity is not a way out of difficulty, but a way to get on in our difficulties. So, I'm urging today that we be a community that shows the joys of kingdom citizenship. Let's remember first who we are. This is a heavenly colony set in Denton County, in it, Denton County, Texas, Carrollton. This is where we are, a heavenly colony. Carrollton Church of Christ, heavenly colony in an earthly setting. And as we think of who we are, let's remember then from what Paul has said in this text that we must be unified, that we must strive together for the gospel. And that in doing that, we will be strengthened. And at the same time, Paul says, our opponents will be weakened and eventually destroyed. And it's interesting that in this setting, Paul says, togetherness in the church is a mark of our salvation. And both of these marks are signs that the gospel of Christ is really working. So, our lives need to run parallel with the gospel of Christ. Years ago, when I was a student in university days, I heard this over and over, and I appreciate it so much. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are we doing for Christ? Are we giving him our life and our commitment? Are we giving him our faithfulness? Be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. That's the promise of the Lord. 
as we close today, we're about to sing a, a hymn of invitation. And you are encouraged, whatever the need might be on your part, to respond to that invitation. If you are ready to be baptized into Christ, everything is in readiness that you might begin your experience and participation as a citizen of this heavenly kingdom, this heavenly colony on earth. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. While together we stand and sing.